covering all your favorite parts of the 50-yard fight. This is the Inside the Walls podcast with Zach Heilman and Jim Bernier. Welcome in, fans of the 50-yard fight. You are listening to the Inside the Walls podcast with Zach Heilman here, Jim Mernier alongside for the ride. This is the third ever episode of the show. And guys, thanks again for the praise. We've really been uh, trying to make sure we're bringing the best we can of the National Arena League. You guys keep giving us the thumbs up, the green light on all of this, and we can't thank you enough. Remember, follow us on social media here. Right now, we are currently on Twitter. We also got a new Instagram, if you guys didn't notice. Uh, those are both in walls pod so be sure to follow us at at in walls pod on twitter or instagram and we'll possibly have a few more socials on the way we're figuring some things out there but check us out on both of those give us a follow on both so that you can keep up with us when new episodes drop or any of the content that we drop with votes and those of the like and drop us a review by the way if you're listening to the show and you really like it because those reviews do help especially on apple Podcasts. jim how you doing man uh look I know you're feeling ecstatic after what you just witnessed this past weekend. Uh, Jacksonville came to play and they uh, shocked a few people uh, to say the least. Am I right? You don't come into the shark tank when Danny Southwick is the quarterback and you expect to beat them. My like, God. Oh my God. Really? That just happened this weekend. Danny. came uh, to play, man. The man has been in every location of the national arena scene he's been out west he's been up north he's been on the other side of the world he's played in almost every single arena football team ever created since the beginning of time um he's a journeyman uh when you told me like we mentioned on the show last week it was gonna be Connor kagey's team no like i didn't know they signed danny southwick nobody i was talking to knew they signed danny southwick and he comes in, and the first pass he does is a touchdown pass to Devin Wilson in the corner of the end zone. I was like, right. I was like, oh, interesting. But one of the things that the local radio announcer or the guy on the coverage for the Jacksonville Sharks says, Danny Southwick doesn't throw the nicest of balls, but he gets there, and he got there enough times this week for a upset of the Albany Empire, as like I said last week, I wasn't going to flex my, flex my muscles on the upset, but I will flex my muscles on Zach, who went three and zero this week in the pick'em, baby. That's what I'm talking about, and who it went went a two. I digress, but yeah, it was a great weekend. Now, of course, today's episode we have Mason Espinoza on uh, talking about his career and what it is in the National Football or uh, National Arena League, but he had a great game in Carolina. Also, New Jersey flight, they're the real deal, turn around their season. So it was an epic week five of the National Arena League. And yes, it, the cherry on top of the Sharks being the Empire. But I do expect that we're going to get revenge. They're going to get revenge on us at the end of the year. So still, you got you to live in the present moment. We won. So I'm happy. Great fan support for Jacksonville. Uh, it's nice uh, to realize that, you know, certain cities like in around the country, love the arena game and i'm thankful that jackson was one of them but yes it was a great week five good atmosphere uh six thousand was reported for the game by the way uh a little uptick from last we understand from their first home game so you know def- definitely the shark tank came out to, to uh at least support especially for a contest that first off you know I, you and I, I mean, I know you picked Jacksonville, but you know, mindset was that you were picking, it was that Albany was going to win. I was more on lines like, okay, I, you know, Connor Kagey, I'm like, I'm not sure. Um, and then yeah, Southwick is a surprise signing and 
stabilizes that offense. And it was re- really, I was impressed all around Jacksonville showed up and looked like they were ready to play and to say enough is enough with the losing streak here yeah. and all yeah. facets of the game. For the most part, they kept up and, you know, made this a game to where they could take advantage of the empire's mistakes when needed. Correct. But the thing is, is that this, the, it wasn't just Danny Southwick that was making plays. You got to look on the defensive side of the ball. Oh, Zach sure. Brown was getting a Grady. Grady, the benefits of having a good offensive line, and especially with Derek Ross in the backfield, that you get a nice pocket where he can scan the field and find his targets, and he has some weapons out there. But Vince Neal, another veteran oh, that the Sharks God. signed, I think Monday of last week, comes mm-hmm. in there, instant impact for that secondary. And that cha- he, he made an interception, I think – late in the third quarter that turned the game well it was still a competitive game but it turned it to one side of the Jacksonville Sharks and his performance I think he got two interceptions that game Jacksonville's defense like I mentioned last week there's something about that building no matter if Jacksonville's the best team in the league or they're uh, you know the basement dwellers something for about that in that side of that in that building just gives a vibe to the Sharks where you come into that building, you're not going to get an easy W. You're going to be playing in the fourth, late in the fourth quarter. Like, we need to make this completion. We need to do this. And it, again, in this game, it was in the fourth quarter, but I thought it would be on South, uh, you know, Southwick or, or our opinions from last week was going to be Connor Kagey. But yeah. it was Tommy Grady that had to do it. Like, Tommy Grady had to do fourth quarter comeback after fourth quarter comeback. And Peterson, one of the best kickers in the game. Brandon Burr, one of the best kickers in the game. Special teams in this game stole it. Even though Jacksonville defense had some nice spots and Danny Southwick was out of his mind, like, come on, what about that freaking kick at the end of the second half? It was just your, you know, your traditional 14-point swing in arena football where Albany thought it was going to be an onside kick. And all of a sudden, the ball's just chilling on the side of the wall and falls in the hands, and I think Mac recovered it in the end zone, and the, like a fourteen-point swing. That was that, that was such that was the turning point. That was such a faith type of thing, like a hands of fate type of moment right there, with it going on the wall and then just kind of dribbling back down to where like Albany was like, "Well, it's going to go over the wall." No, it didn't. And you know, I, I I just was blown away at how that kick landed. You know, no one predicts that. I think, oh. but. You know, Brandon Beer obviously is losing his mind. And really, I love the special teams in that contest. You know, yeah. uh, Brandon Beer and Craig Peterson were throwing haymakers all night. Deuce after deuce. You know? It was awesome. I love it. Like that, that is, that is the, to me, it's for the most part, that is what I love in a competitive NAL yeah. game is you have all facets that are like, it's just like these little moments that change everything. But say you what know? you said behind the scenes about that game. It was what to you? Oh, it is! It's the best arena game I've watched all season through any of the leagues. And like, I will fight tooth and nail to argue yeah. that it was best, the best out of any of them. That the reason, the, the reason why that's awesome, and people are like, like, how can you say that? If you watch that game again, which is accessible on YouTube, go ahead, ladies and gentlemen, it's available. And there's really not many games this week; just a game on Friday. It's it. That game is when you score a touchdown. Okay, you got your six points, but you're a nervous wreck because you got to make that extra point. And you got the two best kickers in the game or in the arena game going after each other. There's a 10 point swing there that could possibly happen. Yeah. Maybe 
it was almost to a point where, yeah, the Sharks scored a touchdown. Okay, what they do? But you know what? If you don't make that deuce, you might be you, you might have you might have an issue because the other team has a kicker where you look at the scoreboard. Hey, we're down by two because you missed a deuce. And though Peterson and Beer, geez, haymaker after haymaker, and of course the kickoff in the second quarter. Late in the second quarter, that was the you know fourteen point play that changed their momentum. But then the start of the third quarter, more you know crazy stuff happened. Uh, I think it was an interception by Albany, followed by like a fumble by Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Then there was another fourteen point swing there again. As like all of a sudden it was the haymakers. Now, when people say this is a down Jacksonville team, that game right there just tells you why Albany and Jacksonville were rated the number one and number two team in the league because of that performance. Jacksonville right. has the team to go against Albany. And also, yeah. I think Jacksonville has the experience going against Grady because Grady once was a part of the system. That is that is a good point. <laughs> you do have – it was a kind of reunion night. At least you have you know Grady, Derek Ross, of course, being both those guys that had made names for themselves in Jacksonville Correct. at one time or another. Um, you know, the, I, my final point on this game, really, uh, first off are really a few quick points that I'll end with. Um, this was definitely not Albany's best performance. There are a lot of mistakes I noticed from them. It's, yeah. it's arguably their worst game they played all year, but yet they only lost by three. Uh, yeah. speaking of that loss by three, that final touchdown from Derek Ross, that was not a touchdown. That definitely no. was a, uh, Oh, I was, I was cussing at my TV. When that I that was that. an officiating like, error for sure. That, that, that. <laughs> That really like I've got messages on Facebook about that. Like, how's that a touch? And I'm like, I don't know. I've right. actually wa- rewatched that because it's YouTube. You can go back and play. Oh, and sure. Watch. He was a good yard short, right. like I, a good yard short. It's like it's nowhere near the end zone. Like I wasn't like I was not surprised at the fact that Darius Prince ran that they had Darius Prince run a uh, kind of a jet sweep. I was more surprised when I heard it was a two point conversion. I was like. Did I black out for a second? Like that was not a touchdown before. And of course they didn't challenge it. Although it was funny. Albany just seemed to challenge everything. Oh, they, they challenged too. They challenged Jack out of the box. They challenged mm-hmm. illegal defense. It was, it felt like to a point where are we just giving a lit? That's the thing that we need to, uh, we need the actual rule on. And hopefully we get a chance to talk to people who are associated with the rules. How many challenges the teams have? It seemed like That's this a- game, like Jacksonville had three, our coach got a 15-yard or 10-yard penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct because he challenged the flag yep. for a legit play that should have been reviewed when Tommy Grady was in the end zone, which was a legit safety in any football league, ladies and gentlemen. It's not the arena league. Right. He gets flamed for unsportsmanlike conduct. And when <laughs> once they found out, oh, yeah, he was actually right, oh, we're going to penalize after the kickoff. I'm like, should the that- penalty go away because he was right? That, so- that safety was such a turning – that actually to me was the turning point in the contest because – Albany, they had a chance to, if they go up, if they drive down the field, they go up by two possessions with a touchdown there. Um, And that that just, it just seemed to throw them the rest of the contest after that safety. But you were talking about how Albany was out of whack and like out of their, you know, rhythm. That is the credit to the fans who were in attendance at that game. That does talk about, you're talking about almost a near 7,000 seat people in that stadium. And Jackson was a tourist with horns and cowbells. And I guarantee you that type of sound, you didn't see a lot of false starts or offsides, illegal motions. Like there was a play where I think, I think it was either Prince or maybe Jones was literally the, uh, was five yards down the field. 
before the run, like everyone's like, yo, the guy ran five yards, but they're like, oh, we don't know what to do. You know, the motion man went off sides. That's a five yard penalty. Yeah. <laughs> like we were, you watched the game. I watched it. There were so many things there. I was aggravated at the refs. Like, hello, like speed up the game. Like we're almost at a three and a half hour game for an arena game. Right. It's unacceptable. It's not even national television. Um, it, but, it did it, there. Like, so there were a few errors that caught me off guard, uh, but, especially at the end, but, but Albany, know. like what you mentioned there, Alice sink, got to get credit to Jacksonville, got to get credit to that fan base. And also gave credit to Jacksonville because they kind of saved their season. They, they did. Oh, and three means a lot. <laughs> like one and two is different than oh, and three. Oh, and three is still be the last place team right now. Jacksonville with the win. You go to play Orlando, which is a big game this weekend. You could possibly put yourself from an 0-4 start to a 2-2 and start halfway through the season in great position for the final four weeks where you can make some you know, moves up in the standings when you still have Carolina on your schedule twice. So yeah. that, that, that you're getting to, you know, I'm not bash Carolina, but if you're an opposing team, you look at Carolina now, your schedule, you're like, you know what, they, there's something not right there. It's a good time to capitalize on it. Um, before my last thought about this Jacksonville and Albany game, great game, great production by the Jacksonville's media. The game was, you know, what arena football should be like. But also, I did. Uh, I had some personal issues. I didn't make the game. Um, but watching on TV was awesome. The experience was awesome. And I want to say thank you to the fans out there that retweeted our tweets during the game and joined us in the experiment. We had a nice fan interaction. I just want to say thank you, but that's what arena football is supposed to be like. I don't care if it's AFL or IFL or NAL. That's what it's supposed to be like. Close games with action pack with suspense. And it was such a good game because it had everything. It had the two, po- two possession swing. It had the deficits. They had the wacky plays and it had the big time kicks and the big time catches. And of course, I think Devin Wilson's catch, I think in the fourth quarter where he tipped it up to himself, was a huge catch in the back of the wall. That could have been like the play of the game, by play of the week, but I can't do that because you got Laughing House in New Jersey that did a similar play. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it, that, that game in Jacksonville had everything. And I just want to say, as a Sharks fan, I was happy for the win. But for Albany, yo, you lost to the Sharks. You lost to the Jacksonville Sharks, the mo- one of the most dominant arena teams ever in, the, in history. Mm-hmm. Hey, it was on the road. You get them in your house the final week of the season for a potential – you beat them, you may clinch your home field, you beat them, you might kick them out of the playoffs. So you get another chance to get them. And I do think the tables will turn when they go to Albany. But I was just say tap tip my hat to the, the game. It was a side game. It was the best game of the week. And luckily for me, if Jackson would have lost, it would have still been the best game. That game had everything what an arena football game should have. It was the best game of the week, but I will say, let's go to the game of the week, which was voted on by the fans of our show, uh, which was the one that we get to live tweet, uh, which by the way, we do this every week. We're going to, uh, this week, uh, game week six, can have no choice because there's only one, but uh, for week five, we fans voted and you guys chose the Orlando Predators going to the New Jersey flight by one uh, point, one yeah. vote. <laughs> That's how close it was. It was by one vote. It was one. It was vote. either. It was either going to be a three-way tie, and our tiebreaker was. I, I had a funny tiebreaker. It was going to be okay. What team needs love? Flip a coin. But <laughs> team needs love. Uh, Jersey and Orlando get that one vote. We had I think about twenty-seven people voting to the poll, so it was it was a good you know good Some amount. So solid yeah, reaction. It, you know, still 
stop the count. We don't need to count anymore. That game's over. But yeah, they, it was a close vote. So it's because of you guys, that was game of the week. Yeah, it, look, the it was it was definitely one that on paper part of the reason I went one and two was because I was like, well, let's let's see if Faustino Saucedo, you know, with a week of practice under his belt delivers and they can and Orlando can ride on some of the momentum that they still had, at least from decent performance from, you know, Brian Hicks before he was knocked out against the Empire. And uh yeah, he didn't he didn't really live up to it, or at least Orlando seemed like they were out of sorts. They couldn't score in the red zone for really anything. At least it was very difficult for them to score in the red zone. Uh, I can count way above both my hands how many times I think Sacito, uh just either was not capable of delivering a pass in within five yards or at least on my hand, they tried at least five plus times to do a fade route and he cannot throw a fade route to save his life. Uh, it just... He just could not uh, made it made quite difficult for anyone there. And honestly, the Jersey flight, give them credit. They started on three. Maybe they, I'm thinking they maybe should have been three and two by now, because first off, I don't know how Carolina has gone. This has gone so flat so quickly. There are reasons I think, but like, you know, I can't believe they've gone this flat. And now you see Jersey, this roster, I said, we we've said since we started doing the show, definitely looks like it should be performing better. Now it looks like they've got a rhythm. They know what they're doing. Um, and I'll tell you what, they have started using, at least with Warren Smith and and Jer- Jared Dangerfield and Laughing House and company, the quick pass game for Jersey is deadly the last two contests. They thrive on the quick pass and letting the receivers do a lot of the work. And it's working for them. They've found a formula. And the defense has been winning up front these last two contests really it's shown that they deserve to be a potential playoff caliber team. Like we were expecting them to be for some of these guys that cover this league at the beginning of the season, they they've shown out in Orlando. They did the same thing. They just basically outran them in the second half. They outscored them 32 to 19 and they have a well-built together roster that I think finally has their, uh, at least their leg, at least their uh, legs underneath them now. Well, you also, you got to look at maybe the best tandem wide receiver core with the last names I, it sounds like they're like an action movie of tandem with life and house and danger feels like oh, yeah. that's that's like the names themselves right there just make the, the jersey flight team just exciting um, but you gotta give credit credits due one of the most overlooked players i think in the league right now is warren smith and he came yes. out in this game uh he was 30 he was uh 35 for 43 for 268 five touchdowns and he also had a rushing touchdown uh He's performed like in the games that he's lost, the games that Flight have lost. Uh, Warren Smith has been contained by defensive teams, especially against Columbus. That's like we said before, they're maybe the best defense in the league, but Jersey's defense is right there, too. You just, if you look at Orlando, that the, the, the absence of Hicks really dampened that offense and the wide receiver core for Orlando was in a six. They didn't show up yeah. and the Jersey's defense just shut them down. Yeah. I, and, the, only, the only one I'll give credit to, uh, or well, I mean, for the most part, that seems like he comes in week in week out is uh, DJ Myers is yes, Myers is the only showing show, out yeah. for sure. That one, I got, I can't knock him for anything because he even showed out this game. He was making all the tough catches again. You know, Cecito wasn't exactly making it easy. So, you know, yeah. he's coming down with those. Yeah, you know, if you if you look at this game, how it became, it was 
early in the going, you get that you, – it's like any football game. The first quarter, you're usually filling out the game. You don't know who's better or how this game's going to go. But as the game, you know, just continued to go on, it was – it became a one-sided affair. Yeah. Uh, the flight were just taking advantage of everything they had. And, of course, like I mentioned, Laughing House's catch. Uh, if you want to – I think the flight had it on their Twitter account. It literally – and un, like the guy was covered, he was the defender was right from his face. He tipped the ball was passed. He hit it, deflected it up so he could catch it over the defender. And I was like, "How's that not going to be ESPN top ten? Like that is just like the, you know, the infamous arena game style type of catch. Like oh, you sure. use the boundaries, you use the wall, but you also use deflections off your own hand, like you're juggling something. It was awesome catch." But when I looked at this game, and from as a person that covered it, doing live tweeting and watching it, that offense missed Brian Hicks. He that just tells you that if you have a quarterback situation in your city or any team you are, especially with Orlando, and you have your backup come in, and he's like not used to the offense, or he's not you know, experience in the arena, it will show early. And you saw that you saw slant routes that were behind. You saw fade routes that were six rows deep into the end zone. Mm -hmm. uh, you saw late reads. And that's just a sign of a quarterback that has no experience in the arena league or hasn't played in the arena league or is not used to the offense. And that hurt Orlando because you're going up against Warren Smith, who is a, he's been in the arena league for a couple of years. He's in the top 10 passers in the NIL. And history wise, so he's been in the business, so he's experienced. And teams that have backup quarterbacks that are in games, the team that has more experience or knows that they're playing against a backup, they will expose him early. New Jersey did that with their defense, they were getting the backfield all day. The offense line wasn't blocking for anything, and they got himself in the hole. And Warren Smith capitalized every time. And that offense just I don't know what they found in Carolina two weeks ago, but they found something. And this New Jersey offense is just excuse me. Jersey offense. I always had that New Jersey in there. My apologies. But yeah. this Jersey offense is just clicking right now. And like I said, previous podcast, your quarterback doesn't need to be the elite because he can be saved by his defense. But if you have an elite quarterback with a, de a good defense, you're going somewhere. New Jersey has that and has potential of being that. The question is, can they sustain it, especially with quarterbacks like Mason Espinosa and, and Tommy Grady in the league? Those are this test. So right now, that game, you could tell one team was struggling without a quarterback, and you can see one team find themselves back-to-back -back weeks. And Jersey, you got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, they look good. And also, nice showing to the fans in New Jersey. That was a nice crowd they had there for their final home game of the season, which is kind of rare with four weeks left in the season. Yeah, I was really – that's something that had been concerned as of the last three and really was happy that, you know, especially for a night that they had been advertising very much so had a lot of community members coming out. The mayor of the mayor of Trent, New Jersey was out there too. Um, I think it was really, like military appreciation too. I think they had yeah, everything going on. They, they did a great – I think they did a great job promoting. And their social media has been pretty awesome. Uh, you know, it's uh, – it, it's going to be a fan base. I think if they keep up the social work or social media work they're doing and, you know, just at least a little more community outreach the way they're trying to do it, you know, yeah. that final home game, you know, it was reasonable. I think the camera for some people didn't do it justice because a lot more fans were actually on the opposite side of the camera for where their angles were for the broadcast, but, yeah, but New Jersey's you know, flights, Twitter feed, they were doing it. 
they were showing live plays when they happened, and you saw the other side of the stadium. They had a good crowd, so I was pretty impressed. So yeah, good stuff. And yeah, they, Jersey right now definitely has reestablished itself as a playoff contender. And I think we got a lot of clarity this week. You know, the yeah. final game of the week really definitely clarifies what we were wondering about Carolina: is are they are they legit now? Um, to me, this basically solidifies, you know, now credit Columbus is in my opinion, I'm going to say it on here. They're my, they're currently the best team in the NAL in my opinion, uh, just as, <gasps> as, uh, I'm saying they are the, are you most being well-bound. biased because of our guests later on in the show? No, no. Okay. <laughs> no, as much as yes, the special teams they are lacking in, but in the two main facets of their game, they are the most stout right now. In offensively and right. defensively, they're the most well-rounded of the units. You know, you could this, make an argument in Albany with Craig Peterson. The, the special teams adds that bit, but defensively, they still have some liabilities. It seems like for the Empire. So, I'm 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 saying it. Columbus right now to me is my number one. If I'm doing like a rankings, so and, it, and well, they power out, rankings, yeah, yeah, they showed out again. I this agree week. with you. Power rankings, yeah. Mm-hmm. They they showed out this week. They took care of business in Carolina as it was expected, and Carolina as they should. Just, yeah, as they should. The, Carolina just kind of looks like a team that I don't think either. It's not. It's just not gelling right. And I also think that you have a quarterback in again. Sam Castronova has shown flashes, but he also has not. He's not been a complete. He's not put complete. I would say games together. You know, uh, definitely still looks a bit jittery in the pocket. That also credit that front line has not been the greatest, but he still looks jittery in the pocket a little too often for my taste, and their defense looks overmatched partially due to injuries as well. But uh, right now, Carolina is definitely out of the six right now playing. They, to me are the least likely, I think to get a playoff seating right now, you know uh, they're fading to me as a team. Uh, and I, maybe things change, but la- this past, these past few weeks for them have not shown me confidence that I can say that they'll make a run, you know, my like Orlando, between the two that are below the top four right now, Orlando, I can at least say, well, defensively they've shown out at times. It's just that they haven't had on the offensive side of the ball really come out. And also they've had special teams woes really bad <laughs> in terms of kicking their kicking units. So, uh, you know, Orlando at least, and you know, they are actually funny enough. They had a transaction this week. They released uh, Faustino, Faustino Saucedo and replaced him with Patrick O'Brien. Uh, which last I could check was a backup for Dan Rodabaugh in Philadelphia. So maybe that works because Brian Hicks isn't back in and we have no idea when or if he will be back by the end of the season. So, you know, Carolina, all I can say is they were overmatched this yeah. past week in week five. Not, not too much yeah. beyond that. Same, same problems against the flight, just inconsistent offense, poor protection. Mm-hmm. And defensively, there's too many injuries right now to where they cannot keep the they cannot keep hold enough for their offense to help come from behind yeah i watched this game which is so available on youtube ladies and gentlemen and this game really showed the tiers of the nal you show it showed you the elite team and the elite the upper tier teams and the lower tier team uh, i watch this game and i look at carolina and go quarterback he has it it's very inconsistent. He'll go on possessions where he go, okay, I see why he's the starting quarterback of Carolina. He's driving down the field, making the right reads. Then he has possessions where he go, what are you doing? And it's just not because he's taking on Columbus defense. He did that against New Jersey. 
He did that against Albany. He did that against the Jersey before. Uh, it's just, you look at Columbus's team and you look at the Loach, you look at uh, Outlaw, you look at Mason, you look at uh, Crawford. They just tore apart Columbus's, uh, Caroline's defense. Mm-hmm. Columbus, even though Columbus's, or Caroline's offense is not clicking, that defense is not helping. It like not. <laughs> when, <laughs> when you when you hear the interview later in the show, um, um, Mason brought up about, yeah, you score a lot of points when you're on your opponent's 15, 20 yard line. You're going to score quick because it's just a short field. Right. That's that just shows you for a team like Carolina turnovers. I watched like the first two plays because Jacksonville's in commercial or I just decided to flip the channel. Carolina took the early lead and the crowd was energized. You saw the offensive line pumped like they were getting excited and all of a sudden the game was over. Like you look at it again and Columbus is up by two scores. Right. And and you look at Carolina and go, they got B.J. Bunn. They have a weapon on offense. The quarterbacks. Uh, is Casanova it? Is Summers it? When you're a team that has two, like the old time saying, if you have two decent quarterbacks, you don't have a good quarterback on the roster. That means you don't know who your quarterback is. And I don't want to say this, but I mentioned it earlier when I talked about the Sharks. Teams out in the AL are looking at, are we playing Carolina this week? Because they might, oh, we are playing Carolina this week. Okay, that may be a guaranteed win. It's starting to look like that. Now, what happens if the receiver, I forgot who caught the game when he touched down in week one against the flight. Um. But if that was an incomplete pass, you're looking at a 0-4 Carolina team, and we are talking about how they are the worst team in the league. Yeah, honestly, I'm going to tell you right now. If there's a power ranking right now, Carolina's the worst team in the league, in my opinion. They're number six, and they still have to play. Uh, I think they play the Predators next week, so you'll get to see that little that little matchup. But I look at Carolina. There's so many question marks everywhere, and if when you're a team like Columbus and you're led by Mason, you're led by that receiving core, and you have that defense, you go in the mindset of that game's like, you're better than that team. You, don't get, you do not give them any chance of life. Bury them now and end it. That's what Columbus did. I think within the end of the first quarter, the game was done. I, I mean, just, That's what good teams do. Yeah, good teams put away the bad teams, and they put them away early. And, I'm, yeah. and it can't compare it to any other games, but this has now been three straight weeks now, Zach. That Carolina's played like this. Yeah. It's it's not a it's it's not it's not place to gentlemen. It's not an 18 week season. It's eight. You're on a three game losing streak. Possibly, if technically speaking, if the Predators and Carolina or Jacksonville lose the next couple of weeks combined. Your playoff field is going to be set with three teams guaranteed already with the Empire, the Lions, and the Flight. Each game means a lot. Carolina is not a good yeah. team. If they want to make the playoffs, they might actually have to win out. And I don't see that because most of their games, they got to play the Sharks twice. They got to play, uh, I think they got to play picks, uh, Columbus again in Columbus. And I think they play the Predators. Mm-hmm. At home, or uh, no, they play the Predators in Orlando. So, yeah, yeah, where you see a W on their schedule left for the remaining of the season. So, 
if I'm Carolina, you just, you know, take this bye week this week, sign some players and try to make a run at it because you're at a stage where you may lose one more game. You might be eliminated in, in, for the postseason because either Jacksonville or Orlando's, you know, found their winning streak or flight found their winning streak and they've separated the pack and the top four teams are already set for the postseason. So Carolina has to do something and they got to do it now. And the team they got right now, it's not going to cut it. Columbus did their job. They went there and they, you know, they, you know, set the laws. You know what? We're better than you. We're, we're going to just mop the floor with you guys. And they did that. And that's exactly what they did. What a, t- a good team's supposed plenty, to do. Plenty of questions to answer for sure for Carolina. And this is, a, it, you're saying it's a crucial moment. Look, the standings right now, you have currently, you know, besides the two top four and one teams in Albany and Columbus that have basically put themselves a, uh, nice uh, neck and shoulder almost above the rest in terms of record right now, you know, Jersey's rattled off two in a row. Jacksonville got the upset this week. So they're out of the hole. They're now one and two. And then now you got Orlando and Carolina sitting one and three. So you have four teams right there that that's kind of that middle pack right now. That's going to be at least I would say after this week, you're going to get some more clarification. And then, you know, probably by week eight, you're going to start seeing like, all right, well, it's going to be do or die time for whoever's in that five, four and five spot. But so, if you, if, let's just yeah. look at the teams right now. You got the flight Jacksonville and you have Orlando and Carolina. I'm not going to be this type of guy that's going to bash an organization because they're not playing good football. I want to see Carolina do good. I love the uniforms. I love the t- they're, they're former champions of the league. They, they know how to win there. But right now I look at that team. They're not a postseason team. Uh, they have a lot of questions, and their schedule's not going to get any easier. I look at Jacksonville. You get Carolina on your schedule twice. With the court, quarterback, for some odd reason, it's amazing how weeks difference. You got Danny Southwick, an experienced NAL, experienced arena quarterback. How much difference the offense is for Jacksonville right. overnight? And Jacksonville has always had a very good defense. Has always had a very good defense, no matter who's back there. You look at Jacksonville, they play Orlando this weekend, which is a big game. If Jacksonville gets that win, they're 2-2, two and two, and technically by winning percentage, they'll be the third-best team in the league. Then you go Carolina, like at home against Carolina. You can chop up as a win. So the next two weeks for Jacksonville are huge before they play Columbus again. Are huge for Jacksonville. And for the flight, they have a bye week, and I think they play – I want to say they play Carol, – not Carolina – I want to say they play the the Orlando Predators in two yes, weeks. Yes, they're going the, – the rest of their games, by the way, are road games. So. Yeah, so they're going to the Predators. So, again, then you got Orlando's – pretty much, if, let's just say this. If Jacksonville wins this week, Orlando's in the situation where they got to beat New Jersey to stay alive, especially with Columbus or especially with the Cobras coming up on your schedule. Yep. So these next four – next, not, I'm not going to say for the rest of the year, these next three weeks started this weekend with the, the, the Predators and the Sharks. It starts now for them. This is playoff football from now on. You lose this, whoever loses this game looks at the next game, go, you know what? We got Columbus, or hey, look, we got the flight. We got to make your move here until you look at, oh crap, we got Columbus on the schedule, we got Albany. So, whoever, let's say the next four weeks, whoever, honestly, whoever wins the most is going to get it, honestly. But the two teams out that I say, Honestly, I'm not going to be bad about Carolina. I don't think they make the playoffs. It's whoever the, the three team race for the final two spots in the postseason is flight, the Sharks, and the Predators, and it starts this weekend. 
for the Cobras, you need to do something. You need to surprise me somehow. But right now, with your schedule, you got to play Jacksonville twice. You got to play Columbus, and you got to play Orlando. And I don't like your shots right now. You need to show something. But in the, at the playoffs started today, the Sharks are in, the Flight are in, the Lions are in, and Albany is in. And Albany will have the tiebreaker because of the head-to-head. And they'll be the ones that host every, the whole home field advantage. But right now, we're midway through the season. We're five weeks in. And Jacksonville, the, the end on the, the standing point, saved the NEL a little bit of excitement. Because if Albany would have beat Jacksonville this week, both Columbus and Albany would have clinched playoff spots. Because Jacksonville beat Albany, there's no teams that have clinched postseason positions in the NL with five weeks left in the season. So we Jacksonville saved the clinching for uh, at least another two weeks because, of course, Columbus and, uh, and Albany are off this week. So right. a lot of stuff can happen, but I believe now, Zach, is that it's a three-team race now. I think it's the Flight, Sharks, and Predators for the final two spots. Columbus or Carolina needs to show me something, but it's been now be three weeks that I look at a team and I say, I don't know what's going on there. And just three weeks ago, we said how they were looked good against Albany. And well, it's amazing how this, it, it, it's, it's amazing how it switches. But a little, yeah. bit of an, a little bit of an anomaly is what that looks like. Uh, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Carolina's got some, got some answers. They got a bye week here. Uh, definitely can try their best to gear up if because they got to get ready to take on the Sharks, at least a rejuvenated Shark squad <laughs> after this week. Uh, and we'll get to, by the way, Jacksonville's one game this week is also Orlando's going to be hosting them this time. Will Jacksonville get the revenge, get a chance at revenge as they travel over to the Amway Center? We'll, we'll, we will preview that in a second. As we teased earlier, though, uh, as, my, as uh, Jim is, of course, teasing with saying that I'm you know being a favorite here, with our person we're interviewing today today on this show, uh, we had the pleasure to talk with Columbus Lions quarterback Mason Espinoza. So, guys, I'm going to let you we're going to let you in and enjoy that interview there, talking just kind of his playing career, the season, you know, him being once a backup for Tommy Grady, and just the irony of playing him week one, uh, and much much more. Really, was a good conversation. So, we'll let you guys uh, kind of sit back, relax, and enjoy our talk with him, and then we'll end with a little bit of preview with the one game this week on the NAL schedule. Stay tuned, enjoy the interview, and stay along for the ride. Joining me and Jim here for Inside the Walls podcast, we have quite the special guest with us today and one that's really been excited to join the show and one that we can't thank enough for helping support the show early on already. It's Mason Espinosa, quarterback of the Columbus Lions, joining us. Mason, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Uh, things are going for you guys pretty swimmingly so far early on this NAL season. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. First of all, appreciate you guys having me. Really uh, always look forward to the opportunity to talk a little arena football uh yeah i mean you know the 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 roster that we have the talent that we have the way we've been able to work it's been a it's been a really fun really special start to the season so just got to uh, i think marvin said the other day we were talking it's like we're halfway through five games in five more to go till uh you know we can lift up lift up the trophy and so that, that's kind of the goal Right. And you guys are definitely in the driver's seat right now between you and Albany at the top of the NAL standings after last week's upset victory that they had in Jacksonville. Before we get into more of the NAL season, you know, I, I myself and I know Jim too, we both love getting the backstories of players. They're just really, it's an intriguing aspect to every journey in football and just the different levels of the game itself. So, you know, for me and Jim, we were curious, you know, what, what was your backstory? You know, how'd you get in the game, your passion, how did it all start? Uh, when did arena become to the spotlight? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, football's always kind of been in my blood. Uh, my father was a college football player. Uh, so I always, you know, growing up, I just kind of knew I was a football player for whatever reason. Uh, even playing other sports, I was just waiting until I was old enough to play football. Uh, so that, that's kind of always been my, my goal, my passion through high school, through college. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a small town in Middle Tennessee, right between Nashville and Knoxville, played high school football there, really enjoyed it, enjoyed my time uh, a lot there. That hometown's given me so much support. Cookville, Tennessee is actually the name. And then I uh, went to college in uh, just north of Columbus, Ohio, Ohio Wesleyan University. Uh, unbelievable four-year experience there. Uh, we had some success there, and it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, arena football came to the scene kind of after that, obviously. Uh, right, I graduated in – who I'm getting old. Graduated in 2014, <laughs> longer ago than I care to admit. Uh, okay. Got, you know, just a, just, you know, a quick – you know, did the pro day, the whole circuit. Uh, got a quick look, at, you know, with the Steelers and the mini camp, doing the whole thing with them. Uh, as I was leaving there, uh, I was able to kind of have some words with the GM and some, some of the people there and – he encouraged me. He's like, hey, look, you know, dude, you're from a small school. You know, you have the talent to do this thing. You have the talent to, you know, play at this level. And you really did well for your name. You did well for your school, you know, personally. But, you know, at the NFL level, it's, it's tough to, you know, jump from a small school like Ohio Wesleyan to, you know, we're going to pay you all this money to be our, you know, to be our backup quarterback. Sure, sure. Got it. So he's like, our suggestion is get into something where you can kind of bridge the gap, for lack of a better term get into Canadian ball, get into arena ball, get into something where you can kind of, you know, kind of show off that, you know, you can make that jump consistently and we'd be happy to, you know, take a look at you in the future there. Well, that was however seven years ago. And, and uh, you know, arena football has kind of became my home now. Uh, that that after, right after that camp, my first year of arena ball happened with the Erie explosion, which is right outside of Pittsburgh. And then it's kind of went from there when Erie, uh, Columbus, Billings, Columbus, Albany, back to Columbus. So it's kind of bounced around everywhere, but I really found a home here in Columbus. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I was, I was, I got to ask because I mean, yeah, Columbus, you seem to have as I come right back to it, or you know, it's a place you go. Uh, 2017 in particular, you guys almost made it, you made it all the way, just, uh, you know, finished a little short to, well, what's becoming a rival in the league for your guys. So, I can understand that probably at least the way the season's going so far this year might be a bit of a more of a sticking point how, how you're in the driver's seat right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that 2017 year was, was a special year, especially being the first year of the NAL and the whole Jacksonville Sharks, Columbus Lions thing. We kind of, you know, developed a little bit of a rivalry there. And uh, I mean, that, that game, you know, I'm just thinking back to that championship game every time I think about it. It's just what an experience to be a part of. I mean, that, you know, to, to have 10,000 people in the stands in Jacksonville, inaugural championship game, people going crazy. Uh, really blessed to be part of that experience, for one. But, two, obviously, wish we would have won the game. Such a heartbreaking way to lose. That's kind of the one uh, kind of the one play in my career that, I, you know, you kind of close your eyes like, man, I wish I would have turned out different. But, you know, got other plans. So, we're, we're still rolling. We're, we're looking for that, looking for that, uh, that elusive NAL title. Yeah, no kidding. I, you guys are, like I said, you guys, as I've said, are 
right there at it. And this year currently are looking poised to at least be the top seed, if not one of the top two. Uh, and one of the top two right now is actually a team led by a quarterback you backed up in 2019 and that you faced off week one against, ironically, in Tommy yeah. Grady. Uh, his team that he actually won the uh, one Arena Bowl 32 with in the Albany Empire. And that came back, you know, as a fan base, just as, you know, as uh, I would say up and roaring as like, say, Jacksonville, even Columbus, you know, um, I mean, how, first off, you know, how was your experience AFL wise, considering you did get one season in yeah. the league itself, which to many, at least in our community was the top pinnacle of that sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, but two, I mean, you know, backing up Grady, who in his own right is a legend in the AFL in the arena space. Yeah. Yeah. It was an unbelievable experience. It was something that uh, I didn't really anticipate. I guess it was kind of, I was so happy in Columbus that it would have really taken a great situation for me to, for me to leave there. Uh, and, Sorry about that. Yeah, it, was, it would have taken a great situation for me to leave there, uh, to, to leave Columbus. And unfortunately, Albany were fortunately Albany was that situation where I was like, you know what, I'm going to kind of take a step out, take a leap of faith here. Uh, I understood what I was getting into. They had Tommy Grady. Got it. Dude is one a bajillion MVPs. Got I understand. Uh, you know, I understand that it was kind of my role to come in, you know, be there if they need me and then kind of you know, move on and, and, you know, be that next brand of kind of that, you know, the AFL expansion and, you know, have the whole team and do, do the thing. Fortunately, it didn't quite work out that way, but I wouldn't trade that year for the world just because one, anytime you win a championship, it's, it's an unbelievable feeling, no matter how big or small your role is in it, you feel like you really accomplished something with a group of, with a group of people. Uh, but two, just like the team that we had was a really special team that the chemistry that was there, it kind of reminds me honestly of this Columbus Lions, this 2021 team. Okay. Uh, it, it's a very special group chemistry wise and the city just, I mean, they go bonkers for arena football. Like Albany is such a cool city for arena football. Uh, obviously too, I wish I got to throw more passes. Yeah. Who, who would, <laughs> but we won a championship. I had an unbelievable time in all me. I wouldn't trade that. I wouldn't trade that year for the world. It was, it was a, it was a fantastic experience. It's a great town. And it's one that I'm looking someday, you know, as they get better in the NAL and as they get more established once again, I'm, I'm definitely making a trip out there at some point. I got, I got, I got a list, you know, I got, I got myself. I keep a list. (laughs) Jim's got season tickets for the Jacksonville sharks. I mean, he's, he's all set. He, he, they they can come to him, you know, (laughs) Uh, he's one of the guys that yells at me when we go down there, then I'll I'll get (laughs) a little bit down there. No, I'm not that type of fan. I know a couple (laughs) fans are like that, but I'm not that type of fan. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. (laughs) But, but speaking about your Columbus lions, do you know that you're the, all-time current active passing leader as a Columbus Lion and as an NL quarterback? No, actually, I just found that out uh, right now as you said it. I did not, I did not know that. <laughs> so, I, I appreciate that. I didn't know. Well, I didn't know. I'm, a, I'm a stats man, and one thing that I know about arena football quarterbacks compared to the outdoor game is that people say that arena games pads are uh, you know padded you know, because it's so condensed. Yeah. You've played in college and you've played in the arena league. You played outdoor and indoor. Make the comparison to the fans about how hard is it to be a arena quarterback compared to an outdoor quarterback. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is very difficult. It is very difficult. It takes a really uh, different level of anticipation. I mean, I, I know you say this a lot of time, but especially you know you, you hear people on TV say it like by the time they're open, you're too late. Well, that's like – that's taken to the extreme in arena football. I mean, 
and, and I feel like, you know, a lot of credit to a lot of the coaches I've played for, you know, Coach Gibson, Coach Moss, all that. They've really instilled kind of that, hey, you're not even throwing to receivers. Like, you're throwing to spots on the field. Like, you know where the receivers are going. Like, I'm just taking five steps, and once I get my key read, like, I know whatever, the corner's down. I got to throw, throw to the end zone, like, on a certain spot. I'm just taking five steps and throwing to that spot and trusting the receivers are going to get there because that's really the only way you're going to be able to complete passes. So, yeah, I can see where the touchdown stats would be, I guess going back to your question, where the touchdown stats you could say would be padded, of course. I mean, I mean, even last game, how many times have we had the ball within, you know, 30 yards of scoring? Like, yeah, for sure. But it's only 50 yards of field, so you, you don't have that many yards like you see in the outdoor game where there's 400 yards feel like every other game. Now, you don't see that much, and it's really tough inside the red zone. I, I think especially I'd be curious to see, like, a breakdown or like talk to some rookie quarterbacks because I remember even in, in my rookie season, you know, one or two, my first couple of years, once you get inside the five, it is really tough to score, especially like you're playing teams with rounded end zones, even if they're not rounded end zones, you have 16 professional athletes in a box that's only about 12 yards long. Right. So that That's very difficult. That's where, you know, guys like, you know, you get the Derek Rosses and the Corey Crawfords of the world where they make a big difference, you know, at, at the fullback position. But, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's very difficult, and it pushes you in a good way. I would recommend, you know, if, if there's young quarterbacks coming out of college there that are trying to, you know, make it in professional football, arena football can't go wrong because you're only going to get better. You're only going to get better. You also touched on what I was going to bring up next is scoring inside that red zone or – within the five yard line. I was watching a game with you either. It was against either the sharks or I think it may have been against Carolina last week where you were on like the two to three line, the two to three yard line team. And you were like either, I think it's your fullback or when your receivers jumped off sides and you cheered because you're like, okay, okay. okay you cheered. Is it that beneficial <laughs> from the seven yard line compared to the third long line? You usually don't see offensive guys celebrate that they just got a penalty on a touchdown play, which the next play was a touchdown. It, it, it really is. So I, I know it sounds really weird, especially to like, you know, maybe the casual fan that, you know, doesn't watch a ton of arena football. But like once you're inside that that two yard line, like it's definitely not uncommon to, you know, maybe take a delay a game. You know, if, if you, you know, maybe give a hard count because if you jump, it's a false start. It's not the end of the world. You know, it's re really not that big of a deal. I think even – in training camp, we think we were competing against the defense once. And we had, like, Coach said it on the on the hash. It's like, all right, two-point play to win. Like, what's the call? And we offensively, we just went up and we, like, fake jumped and moved the ball back and got more space. Like, that's that's not that uncommon in arena football uh, because that, that five yards really does really does make a difference, quite honestly. Speaking of two-point conversions – excuse me, Zach. Sorry no, that's about fine. that. That's fine. You guys are in a position where well, I've noticed over the last couple of weeks you had an injury as a kicker. You're, every time you guys score, you're going for two. And from a quarterback perspective, how much of advantage does that get, give you, knowing that you, you already have another play no matter what, you're not waiting for a special team to come in? And how, what type of disadvantages do you think the defense has? No, it's like, well, they don't have a kicker, so we're, by the time we make it to football, we might be down 10 nothing before we even get on the field. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think uh, I think it was it, definitely this past week without having a kicker than the week before where we knew Gates couldn't kick. That was the, probably the first time in my career where 
I knew for a fact, like, we're going for two every time. And so I think that mentality was a little bit different in the sense that you were just confident. Like, as soon as you scored, it's like, hey, like, we're going for two. Like, put on the left hash, let's roll. And you definitely have that script that you come up with. I know, I mean, me, Coach, and, and Chase probably met, you know, more about the two-point plays than we did about regular offense for the week because, I mean, if you really think about it, you know, five plays are going to be worth ten points overall in a game. It's kind of crazy to think about, but it, it's it really is true. So I think that's what – I think the advantage more so – and going for two is knowing you're going for two and knowing that you can prepare for those scenarios. I think, you know, defensively, I think, you know, the disadvantage and, and I think it probably goes for the whole team is that obviously if you convert, that changes the whole com the complexion of the game. I mean, I think we come out against Carolina, if I remember right, and we convert the first three and all of a sudden it's 24 and, you know, yeah. and they have, you know, they, they had a, I think a two point conversion, you know, a missed extra point or something. And it's 24 to 12. So really, if you think about it, like we scored three touchdowns, they scored two touchdowns, but we're up by two possessions because we converted six points worth of two point conversions. And, and you know, they had, they, they struggled with it. So I think psychologically throughout the game, it's a big deal because in arena ball, you're always counting possessions. You're always counting points. You're going, okay, how many possessions am I down? What do I have to do? If we hit a deuce, what happens? That's a whole new wrinkle in it. So I think that's that's kind of, uh, you know, kind of what, what really made this this week kind of unique, honestly. Look, I, I got to ask you, Mason. I know that you you mentioned you mentioned there's a special group here with Columbus. Um, I, I definitely want to get your thoughts on the defense. Looking offensively, though, uh, your receiving core, at least to many that are watching the game, it's pretty stacked. It's very talented. You know, we can go to Antoine Grant, who I've actually had the pleasure to talk to in previous different show, uh, you know, former AFL rookie of the year, you know, still getting his feet wet with now being the NAL, but you know, Lonnie outlaw, if it's not for the fact Darius Prince is even more so lighting up the league with touchdowns, we probably should be talking more about outlaws production. What, what is you two on such a different, I would say in such in sync in terms of how you guys are connecting right now uh, on the, in at least in the, uh, between the walls here. Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, quite honestly, with Lonnie in particular, I mean, that's that's just him being a really hard worker and us like having to put a lot of time in, especially with the nature of not playing for so long, especially with the nature of how short camp was with us, you know, kind of being surprised with the Albany game uh, early. I think that's that's a tribute to him and his work ethic in the offseason. Uh, you know, there's you know, if you don't come in in shape and ready to go you can't have the reps that we've, we've had to dump on him so we can get that chemistry. He couldn't have taken those, you know, so it's, it's really a tribute to him, how hard he's worked and it doesn't help dudes a legit six, eight. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's always, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to shy away from that and say that's not fun to throw to. So he does an excellent job, man. He works really hard. He cares a lot and uh, he cares about winning. And that's the first thing when I think about Lonnie, that's what I think of is that like, he doesn't really care who gets the credit. He really doesn't. Like he could go one catch for seven yards or have a game like he did and go 11 catches for 130 and four touchdowns. As long as we win the football game, that's what matters to him. And I think that's what makes him special is kind of that selfless attitude. And for whatever reason, those are the guys that, that seem to find the ball come their way a lot. Well, yeah, the size definitely seems to help. <laughs> you wa just watch the highlights in particular. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're talking red zone targets. He's one of the best ones you can have for that scenario. You know, 
Uh, I defensively, I'm going to revisit this right now. Um, and I guess team wise, you know, you may hand it. What, what is making you say, you know, what is really hitting that you think is a, makes this team sound, seem like a special unit? Like you're comparing to say a 2019 Albany empire type of, you know, championship run right now. I'm not saying it's obviously there's plenty more season, but you know, why do you have that sense at this moment midway through? I think, Obviously, we have the talent. There, there's no doubt about that. You look up and down the roster, there's, you know, former AFL players, guys that played in the AFL, guys that probably should have been in the AFL but were around for some – like just top to bottom, 1 to 21 or 24, however many is on there. It's, it's top-level talent. But I think what really is separating us so far is, like, how much we care about each other. Uh, you know, credit to, to Coach Gibson, you know, and, and all the people, Coach Johnson, everyone that's signing the players – like, for whatever reason, they were able to make a, a really cohesive unit where, you know, we were only together, I mean, at, truly as a team for five days going into that Albany game. And it didn't feel like it. I have heard like, about that. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And so, you know, we always do, I think the organization, I think it's an organizational thing, and they do a great job on road trips for whatever reason. That's when we seem to come together. When you're on the road, you're at a hotel, you know, you're doing, you have no choice but to hang out and eat together and do stuff together. You know, we, I think that Jersey trip, we really meshed the Albany trip. Obviously we did a lot of meshing, a lot of learning about each other, that Jersey trip we really meshed. And, you know, for a team that's only been together for, you know, a month and a half, it sure doesn't feel like it. It feels like I've known these guys for a long time. It feels like, you know, these guys are really good friends of mine. And I care about each one of these guys. And I feel like everyone feels that way about each other. And I really think that is what is, has been the separator so far through these five weeks of the season. So speaking of your, this, this season, how mm-hmm. Albany came out of nowhere, explain those weeks leading up to Albany, because you guys lost by five points to a team that started off four and oh, and everyone in the league saying they're the best team in the league, but expl- people don't understand how hectic it was for your organization after uh, I almost said Ottawa again, Ontario folded or seized operations. How was that to get everything situated to get ready for a Tommy Grady, Derek Ross, uh, the Prince, that whole squad up there in Albany? Yeah, it was it was absolutely bonkers. Uh, so obviously we, we report to camp. So quarterbacks, receivers, DBs report a week before the lineman. That's just how you know. I guess the nature of the nature of the business. So. We have, a, we have a week of what we call mini camp, where it's basically just skilled players working, right? Uh, that is, and then we were going to have a week of training camp with everyone there. And then the week of what was going to be our first game, it's, I think it was Orlando, yeah. yeah. Uh, I get a call from Coach Gibson. I can't even remember what day it was. And he's like, hey, what's your birthday? And I'm like, what an odd question, first of all, for Coach Gibson just calling that. Really, really odd question. But, he, you know, sometimes he'll call you with some stuff like that. I'm like, okay, I get my birthday. I'm like, what's, what's going on? And he's like, he's like, are you ready to go to Albany? And I'm like, are you serious? I'm, he's like, 100%. I'm like, say no more. We're there. And then literally the next thing we know, like four days later, we're on a flight. Like we, I, think, I think the lineman on – so the linemen were supposed to report on Sunday and it was supposed to be just like a general, like, Hey, take your physical team meetings, expectations. I like wide receivers, DBs, quarterbacks, we weren't even supposed to be there. Like we weren't even like supposed to be at the meeting. It was supposed to be our, our off day after working. And uh, 
all of a sudden, like that day is when it all happened. And we just like put together a practice, like Jersey shoulder pads, like, all right, let's start this thing. We got, we got four days to figure it out. And, uh, it was, it was incredibly hectic through that week of trying to find that line of like installing your offense and defense, because like our, our three of our four offensive linemen, if you include the fullback, like have never played for the Columbus Lions at all. And two of them have never played arena football. So you're like trying to teach them the game, trying to teach them the offense while also preparing for a team on top of it. It's a team that's never played before. So you don't have film of them because it's a new coach. It was, I mean, it was, it was, it was a challenge to say, to say the least. Uh, Really, really proud of going up there and accepting the challenge of us. I think one thing that goes missed is how uh, like off kilter we were the week after too coming back to play Orlando because we couldn't get a flight out of Albany and we played Saturday night. Couldn't get a flight out of Albany until Sunday. We were on two separate flights because it was so late notice. And then we played Orlando on Friday. So we lost two days of prep. We essentially flew back to Columbus, had like a halfway practice and a walkthrough and you're playing, you're playing Orlando. So that Albany trip really affected like two solid weeks. And it, it really, uh, we really didn't catch our breath and was able to like really play our first game until Jersey with a full week of prep. That Jersey, that Jersey week was really our first week of like regular practice, regular prep, everything felt normal. So it was kind of nuts. Jesus. I cannot imagine that whirlwind just having to get that all sorted out, but I mean, you you love arena football, right? That's arena football. (laughs) The the craziness of it behind the scenes. I, the stories I, I hear from not just like you, but the other people that I've talked to that even more into it, like veterans, I, I, myself, I, I just, it's very recent for me being this invested into the league, into these leagues itself. So I, I love getting stories like this too. You know, Terrific. still nuts and recent, but hey, why not? Um, you talk, you know, you guys have been basically on the road here, and I know you're on a two week break right now. You got one more week on the road. You're going to be going to Jacksonville week eight. Um, this is more of a fun question. Got any uh, fun road trip activities? Like, say, if you're on the on the bus or something like that, or you know, when you get into the cities you go to. <laughs> oh man, it's so it's so different everywhere you go. Uh, quite honestly, uh. <laughs> We're talking about we're trying to uh, get together our rookie show. So with the Lions, I, you know, I don't know if anybody follows the social media. But we have a rookie show uh, okay. every year. Everybody, it's not just not just professional rookies. If you've never played with the Columbus Lions before, you have to perform. Oh, oh, it's 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 hysterical. It's unbelievable. So you do that before the first game. Well, obviously you have guys coming in, you know, midseason like the Harold Loves of the World stuff. You know, come in midseason, so they missed their rookie show. So so. We're really looking forward to uh, – we always try to, like, find a way to get together once we have a – you know, kind of that night before meeting. And the new guys that are there for the week get to perform their rookie show, and it's and it's an abs- absolute blast. a good way to kind of hang out and, and kind of, you know, kick your feet up and, and uh, have a good time. You for know, sure. really that's what it's about, right, having a good time and getting to know your teammates. Absolutely. Yeah, and you're talking how it's easier to gel that way, you know, getting more – it seems like on the road you guys coming together that way. It seems like that would probably add to it, you know, um, really quick here. Uh, what is how to describe the difficulty of the shark tank? You know, uh, obviously you were in Albany, so I imagine you kind of have somewhat of a similar vibe with that. Obviously you played in Jacksonville before you were in Albany, but you know, I, you've been to at least more packed arenas as of the last few years. So I think yeah. you, 
at least understand what it takes to deal with the noise and the extra crowds that might not always follow everywhere you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, playing in a Jacksonville, playing in Albany when they're at full capacity is, uh, is an experience and, and it's tough. I'm not going to say it's, it's not tough, but like, it's so much, it's so much fun to feel the passion from them. It's literally it arena is so different. I try to explain to people that have never been to an arena game. Like the fans are literally on top of you. Like yeah. you're, you know, like on timeouts, you're over there talking to, you know, a season ticket holder on the first row. Like they're like, it literally feels like they're on top of you. I, I remember going to, I guess, back to that 2017 championship game, like coming in at halftime and like sitting down and feeling like, oh man, I can breathe now. Like I can take a breath. Like <laughs> it just feels like they're on top of you. And it's a, it's a really cool experience. Uh, we have ways, uh, to combat it without getting too much into, into our, into our secret sauce there. We have ways to, we have ways to combat it uh, that are really fun to try to try to play with the defense a little bit, but that's, that's what it's about, man. That's what it's arena football is about. It's about playing in the Jacksonville's playing in the Albany's playing the Columbus's and the big games, like where it just feels like when you're at home, it just feels like you got, you know, your entire roster and 3000 people with you just going crazy. And when you're on the road, it feels like it's 22 versus 10,022. Like that's, that's when it's fun. That's what it's designed for. And I think that's when both players and fans get the best experience out of it. Right. And Hey, not real quick. Also not to discredit uh, any of the Columbus fan base. Cause I know those guys come out really well uh, out there too. You know, definitely is a harder place to play in the NAL. For if sure. I had to say so very dedicated and you don't want to give Jim any secrets, by the way. So <laughs> even better. <laughs> he looks really closely. You might be able to see him here in a couple of weeks. There we go. <laughs> I might be a couple of beers down, depending on what the score is. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, down by two possessions. Yep. My name won't go. Give me another Miller. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Mason, what's, uh, what, what's your plan here? You got with, you have two weeks off. So, I mean, obviously rest up is of course one thing you get with bye weeks, but, uh, you know, what do you guys at least try and look at besides, say, practice and just kind of, you know, sit and twiddle your thumbs while you wait to go to Jacksonville? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, you know, uh, just getting off your body, right? I know, you know, just little nicks and bruises of a professional football season. Everybody has them. Uh, you know, I'm personally no exception to that. And I, I can't imagine what some of our linemen or receivers or DBs are feeling because, you know, they hit in practice and they have much more contact than I do. So, you know, just trying to get off our bodies this first week, especially really front loaded in rest, recovery, you know, stuff like that. Carrie, you know, our trainer does an unbelievable job. Really, she takes great care of us. Uh, so just really trying to get on top of our bodies and then obviously taking a mental break. I mean, sure. it really has felt since that. I mean, not even since the Albany game, since that phone call with coach saying, hey, we're going to Albany. I mean, it's felt like a sprint, like. You, you know, you, you really haven't had a second because it's, you know, just one after the other. You felt like you were playing catch up for so long. We felt like going to Carolina, we finally got on the front end of it. And then now we have all this time off. So, you know, kind of kind of taking a second, letting everyone, you know, wh whether it's going to see their families, going to see their kids, going to the golf course, you know, whatever it is, like taking a, taking a kind of a mental week. And then next week kind of getting back to work as far as like, hey, like, Let's let's go back to sharpening our sword here, sure. because I think the whole team really believes we have something special, 
And so it just makes it exciting to come to work every day to show up and practice and, and compete against the defense. I mean, it's, it's a blast for me to play against our defense every day. Quite honestly, I'm, I'm so juiced when I get to go in and play against our defense. So that's, that's kind of that, that second week plan. And then after that, get ready for Jacksonville. By that point, uh, they'll have, I think, two more games down. So we'll have a little more film and I think the standings maybe will be sorted out a little bit more so we can kind of, uh, you know, uh, they're, they look like they're, they're doing really well right now, obviously with what they just did. So obviously always excited for a Jacksonville game, but especially this one in Jacksonville, really looking forward to it. No kidding. And they're definitely, uh, Jim can attest to this too. We both have been noticing they're getting healthier. Danny Southwick anchoring that offense helped a ton last week. So, you know, that's only going to help at least in the weeks coming ahead. I imagine he's only going to get better under that system out there too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Danny Southwick. I've never met the guy, right? Danny Southwick, you are an absolute legend. If, if you're listening to this, I want to talk to you. My man, I've been trying to meet this guy for like three years. This guy has played for every arena football team, I think, in the history of the world. Like, this guy, I yeah. want to just want to see a gear closet. Like, he has to have so much cool gear, and he just, like, goes from town to town and just balls out. Like, kudos to him, man. Congrats. That's that's awesome. Really happy Jacksonville's getting healthy. It's always good for everyone. It's good for the league that, you know, when, when Jacksonville's really good, and I think they're going to be really good. For those listening, I recommend you look up Danny Southwick's uh, Wikipedia page. The uh, list of teams, it is never, it is endless in his career, but he's been everywhere, just like Mason's saying. <laughs> just like he's saying. <laughs> but speaking of the eight-week season or the 10-week season, you're a player, minus the contract, minus all the personal stuff, what do you prefer, a short season or a normal 14 to 16-week football season? Okay, it's a trick question. The, the answer is going to be the normal season because I love playing football. There so the go. more I can do that, the more I want to do that, right? If they told me we're going to play 30 games this year, I'm all in. Sign me up. What I do love, and I, you know, maybe you're alluding to, is I love how every game matters so much this year. You don't have time to, in the past with a 16-game season, your first four games, you're just you're trying to feel it out and, figure out who you are in the next four games, you're, you know, finding your identity again. And then halfway through, you're like, okay, we're halfway through. Let's figure it out. You don't have time for that. Like, like dudes came in like in shape this year, dudes came in ready to play football because they had to, because we knew in, you know, less than, you know, two and a half months, there was going to be a championship game and we either, we were either going to be in it or we weren't. So I, I loved that aspect of, Every game means so much because you really prepare for every game, honestly, like it's a playoff game, and you have to. So I, I think it's a, it's a little bit of both. I know I'm kind of cheating the, cheating the question there, but I think that's, that's, there's aspects of both I definitely enjoy. We'll say it's acceptable. Well, you, yeah. <laughs> you said it was a playoff type of game so far this whole season. Yeah. You're currently tied with the Albany Empire at 4-1. and one. Hmm. They have the tiebreaker as those stupid things always come to a play. So the next four games are literally playoffs to who wins the home field advantage in the postseason. Absolutely. The question is, after you lost to Albany, you won four in a row, what is your goal the next four? Beat Albany? Because that may be the determining factor of you if you host or not, or trying to find a way to host at least one round in the playoffs? You know, that's, that's a good question. I think the goal really, though, has to be like, one and zero every week, 
because everybody we play has good football teams. That is a good like, response. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, our last three games are Jacksonville, Albany, Jersey. And if you look at the standings right now, I know you don't play the playoffs right now, but those are the, those are the three playoff teams. You know, so there's good football to be played, and, and Jersey has shown they can show up and beat anybody a given week. Obviously, Jacksonville just showed that. So, well, 100%, don't make no mistake about it, that Albany game at home on the 24th is circled on my calendar uh, for 100%, don't, you know. But at the same time, it doesn't matter if we beat Albany and we lose to Jacksonville and, and Jersey. We're, we're not getting the one seed anyway. So, you know, we have to really – make sure that we're in a good situation to take care of Jacksonville. Right. We, and then, and then that turns into, Hey, making sure we're in a good situation. Let's go take it to Albany. And then we're in a good situation. Hey, let's finish this off. Right. Because it very easily could come down to, you know, we could, we could beat Albany and lose to Jacksonville the last week of the season and they still get the one, you know? So you, we really, we really honestly need to run the table and, the only way in football to run the table is to think about it one and oh each week, quite honestly. I think anybody that's, you know, follows college football, like I'm sure you guys do, that's really the only way, only way to do it. Kind of that Nick Saban philosophy, one and oh each mm-hmm. week, because you know, thinking three at a time, you're you're thinking too much ahead. So that's that's really what I think we have to do. That's what we have to focus on. First things first, Jacksonville in Jacksonville is no joke. Uh, I'm saying college football, you lose one game in week four, your season's basically over. It's crazy. It's absolutely, it's absolutely nuts to think about. And unless the expansion goes through, hopefully. Yeah, there we go. I think we're all all hoping for that, right? We're all hoping for that. So, you know, and, and that's it. And our, you know, our goal every year is, you know, play home playoff game, get in the dance and uh, you know, and let it work out from there. But my, I I know I'm biased. My personal opinion is it's really, really tough to play in Columbus. Uh, I've played in Columbus on the road before did not go well for, for my football team. Uh, that's actually how I ended up in Columbus, but like mm. it is, it is, it's very difficult to get to Columbus because of the passion of the fans and the physical location. Uh, so if we can, if we can get a home game, uh, we we feel good about what we did in the regular season. We just have to take care of business. What we know we can do. Mason, thank you very much for joining today. I uh, really plenty of insight. Love loved hearing your story uh, as well as just you know. Get to get to sit down and talk, just kind of the ins and outs of the game here with the guy that you know has now been around the block a lot. So, you know, <laughs> and excelling at it, mind you. I got to add in that too. You know, no, I, guys, I really, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, listen to your podcast, man. You guys are doing an unbelievable job. Really appreciate the way you guys are uh, promoting our game. I'm really passionate, as you could tell. I'm I'm not normally a chatterbox. When I talk about arena football, I get really excited. So, really appreciate you guys. Uh, committing to this and and promoting our game, it's it's much appreciated. It's appreciated by the players. Well, we 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 really thank you. That's very kind yeah. words from you. Honestly, you know, I, I can't can't we? Yeah, me and Jim can't thank you enough. That that's awesome. Uh, where can we find you, man? Uh, at least socially, you know, to keep up with you. Yeah, yeah, I'm on Instagram, uh, uh, Mason Espinoza fifteen. I'm on Twitter, Mason Espinoza one. Uh, I'm I'm not incredibly active on it, but I definitely see everything. So yeah, you know, I'm not a I'm not a poster, but I love to see everything. I'm a big reposter. I'm a, I'm a big I'll repost the stories, repost the stuff. You see me and my girlfriend at the pool a lot. She loves posting the the pool days that we have, you know. So it'll be good. And then that way you'll definitely if there's one thing, if you follow me on, on social media, you'll definitely get the Columbus Lions final scores because I'll find a way to repost that about. 
fourteen thousand different times. So. There you go. There and my you. brother, and my brother Blaine, uh, he would kill me if I didn't mention Blaine Espinoza. Everybody out there, give him a follow. He would kill me if I didn't say if I didn't mention him. He's the one that actually was talking some trash to you guys. And I think got this thing all set up. So <laughs> yes. appreciate you, Blaine. <laughs> Yeah, good good call because he'd probably be like, "What the heck?" I first he misses the MVP vote. Now we're just gonna completely whip on him in the show. That's it, man. Oh my goodness, that good call, good catch. <laughs> Saves us a little extra tweet. There we go. This week. We go. <laughs> Mesa, thank you so much. You know, we enjoy your enjoy your week weeks off here, and of course. Uh, We'll, we'll be rooting. We'll be, well, we'll be rooting for you. Jim will be rooting for you in spirit. Yeah, <laughs> so you, watch, yeah. you guys play Jacksonville week eight. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Really appreciate it, guys. Again, thank you. Hey, guys. Back here, Zach and Jim. Special thanks to Mason Espinoza for joining the show and talking to us. I hope you really enjoyed that interview. We're going to be having more guests on as we build the show up. A few we've got players, of course, have maybe a league official or two that we might be able to line up as well that we're currently in the talks with. Uh, hush hush on that. I'm not, you know, not going to spoil anything. You know, uh, can't, can't give you all the secrets, but, you know, stay tuned. Uh, as I was saying before we went in and listened to Mason's interview, there's only one game on the slate this week. So, you know, not, not too much to discuss, but at least we can uh, give our thoughts on here before we uh, let you guys go off and enjoy week six of the NAL. Uh, that is the Sharks taking a trip over to Orlando. They're going to be at the Amway Center to take on the Orlando Predators. Here's the thing, Jim. I met, as I mentioned earlier with uh, that week five matchup with Faustino Saucedo, he is not with Orlando anymore. Uh, I am assuming things just did not go that well. Week five, uh, according to the NAL's official transactions page, the Predators picked up quarterback Patrick O'Brien, uh, who was last I could look up, played for the Philadelphia Soul. Uh, he was the backup for Dan Rodabaugh in 2019 had limited actions. So I guess that would be your solution right now. Quarterback is the, is that choice to switch, switch things up. Maybe they're taking a playbook out of Jacksonville's playbook from last week and saying, let's put a spark in this offense. Maybe see if that uh, stabilizes a few things. He can read the field a bit better. But, yeah. It's, it, it's something where a team they're looking for an experienced quarterback back there. Sasacito uh, last week just didn't look like he knew what he was doing. And I'm not taking a shot at him. It's just it's an arena game. And if this was honestly, if it was like a 10, 18, like a normal football week season, uh, they they won't make that move right now. They'll you know give the guy another week. Um, but for the Predators, you got a big game here uh, against the Sharks. You win, you're two and three. You're technically tied with the flight, and you you knock the Sharks back to one and three. Sharks win this game. They're two and two, and they start. You look at the standings. You start to see separation between the top four teams and the bottom two. Right. Uh, I think this is a potential for the uh, for for the Predators who played well at home against Albany just a couple of weeks ago to try to find themselves. But what I've seen through the the transfer wire this week, the Predators made a few moves. So either Bennett, the coach of the Orlando Predators. Seen something in his team last week that he didn't like, and he's making some changes, or they're trying to find some key pieces to make that run here in the second half of the season. But it's a big game. Orlando went to Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago and knocked off the Sharks, who at that time 
lost uh, Mike Faithful to a knee injury. Then in a, a very young Connor Kagan came in. He was only been on the team for um, – excuse me, he didn't even get on the team. That was the following week. Um, uh, Breckenridge, Roderick came in and came in for the Sharks, and the Predators took advantage of a very inexperienced quarterback. Now you can say the shoe is on the other foot. Uh, Orlando's now going to their third quarterback this season. Jacksonville, of course, is with Danny uh, Southwick, who's their now fourth quarterback on the season, technically. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but it's it, this, this the arena game, especially the National Arena League, it's such a quarterback based league. You only go as far as your quarterback, honestly. Like I mentioned before, your defense saves you. You can have a good defense, but if you don't have a quarterback, your defense is just out there wasting time. This is a big game for both teams. It's a rival between the Jacksonville Sharks and the Orlando Predators. This will be the 22nd meeting over time between the two franchises from the arena football days. Sharks lead the all-time series 12-9, but they lead the NAL series 3-1. But one thing I look at this game right here is because it's such a short, condensed season. Jesus. Um, who wins this game has a – their road to the playoffs is a lot easier to the team to lose this game. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the – if you look right now, more questions are starting to pop up now for the Orlando Predators without Brian yes. Hicks. Now, if Brian Hicks was the starting quarterback right now for the Orlando Predators, I'll be taking the Predators this week. Um, I just don't think Danny Southwick has the miracle on his sleeve back-to-back games, uh, especially when he played against uh, – in his home stadium uh, against the Empire. But now you got Crawford coming in. More question question marks there. They did release a couple of players and they added a couple of players. A couple, I think a player got suspended by Orlando. Have no idea what happened. And of course, when you're trying to do notes for a game, a previous game, or trying to look at the last week's game, there's no game available. Thank you, YouTube. Um, but you look at this game, it's a rival. It's Jacksonville versus Orlando. Yeah. Uh, these this even though this the Orlando team right now is a different organization compared to the last one. The Sharks and the Predators, when these two teams play play against each other, throw the record book out. Because the first game these guys played this year, Jacksonville had a backup quarterback in, and it was still a one-possession game in the fourth quarter. That -hmm. tells you how even the series is. And would I be shocked if Orlando wins this game? No. Should they win this game? No. I think Jacksonville – has gotten better over the three weeks. I think they finally found that solid guy in the backfield, like we mentioned before. You don't need a superstar back there for a Jacksonville type of team. You just need to know somebody gets the guys the ball at the right time. And Danny Southwick performed that last week. And right now, it's not going to be a type of excitement like it was against Albany. But I'm leading towards Jacksonville in this game just because of the experience on the offensive side of the ball compared to Orlando at this time. Now, if Brian Hicks was in this game, Different, completely different conversation. Brian Hicks just tore up Jacksonville's off defense, uh, especially with Myers. And DJ, he's still there. Um, Myers is going to have to be the main guy again. He tore it up Jacksonville. But now Jacksonville has a DB and Vince Neal that's going to be covering him. So it's going to be intriguing, but it's a rivalry game. I have to pick Jacksonville here because of Southwick, because of Vince Neal. And it just seems like Jacksonville, in my opinion, they found something against Albany. And usually when you find – if you find yourself against the best team in the league, that's positive for you. So if they continue on against Orlando to beat Orlando, they start separating themselves from the lower teams in the league. But this is a playoff game type of field to me. 
Orlando needs to win this to stay alive. Jacksonville needs to win this to you know, position themselves well. But if Jacksonville loses, Jacksonville will be in the same position next week like Orlando is this week. So big game. This would be a big game to determine seeding already. We're only five weeks out of the playoffs. But the game, these, the bottom tier teams are so compact. This is where it needs to happen. And I think we're going to have a very close 54-48 type of field game with Jacksonville pulling off because of special teams, not because of the experience on the offense. Well, you got to keep in mind, too, that winner of this game, you know, either you split the series, Jacksonville winning that in that case, and that helps with tiebreakers. Or if Orlando wins, you basically get a half game up on Jacksonville in any scenario since you would have the season sweep under your belt. So that little extra bit of pressure is on here too. Now I should mention as well. I did mention Patrick O'Brien being signed. Uh, The Jack, the predators do also have Matthew Parsons under their roster. So we haven't seen anything as to which does get the start. Um, Brian, I, Brian could have been signed on as well to be extra assurance. So me saying that earlier might've been maybe a little, uh, I guess shooting from the hip a little early, but you have Matthew Parsons or Patrick O'Brien. One of the two is on that roster. One of the two is going to start either one of them. really, You know? Yeah. I mean, it's tough question, you know, and neither one of them I've been able to find exactly have the arena experiences that makes me say, wow, that might stabilize something, you know, like Danny, at least with at least Southwick, I felt was like, okay, he's had time. Like this dude knows how to come in here and he can play a yeah, standard he, system. I yeah. No he has problem. about 2000 years of experience. <laughs> it seems that way. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> but yeah. Every year it rains around. He's there somewhere. It's like, where's Danny at? Right. Another thing to keep in mind too, uh, the predators. And again, I'm referencing the transaction list and I have not seen anything else besides the list itself. Uh, Desmond Epps has been reportedly suspended from the team indefinitely. And I reference this because Epps besides DJ Myers, Desmond Epps has kind of been the number two option out on the, out on the turf. So yeah, that's going to be kind of a loss. I don't know what the circumstance was, for that uh, Donovan raspberry would be the one that would become the number two receiver. Uh, so time going to be looking out for him a little bit more coming this game. And they do have four receivers on the roster for the predators, but uh, Epps was, you know, he's an arena veteran and he was one that was their second option. So kind of shocking to see that for a predators team, you know, now credit the suspension. You don't know what it's about, but you know, it's a, it's a shame to see it since the predators are kind of needing a little more offensive firepower and you're going to need some a little more veteran presence in the receiving core to help stabilize that. You know, Myers can do a lot, but I don't. You still need someone else that could be a number two, as we even saw. You know, Darius Prince dominating against the Sharks last week, but there were even times when he couldn't get past uh, some solid defensive play. So, you gotta keep yeah, that in mind. Yeah, and Jacksonville's secondary is getting healthy, and Vince Neal was a big addition last week. It, so it absolutely is. Uh, I, I also. I also see this as Predators taking a loss. I think this is a split series. Uh, Jacksonville is coming off a momentous win. Now, credit, you could say that maybe they get into a lull from beating Albany and they just aren't don't come prepared to play, but I don't know. This roster is too good for me to see Orlando upsetting them a second time. Uh, I think that Jacksonville comes is now here and saying, all right, we're a playoff team. We're going to establish our playoff positioning and now let's try and see if we can maybe get a better spot here yeah. uh, after beating Orlando. So yeah, give me like uh, I'm going to say this is more like uh, closer, like 60 to 45 and give me Jacksonville here in this contest. Oh, wow. You think they're going to, yeah. Okay. Well, I've been around this rivalry to know that I can't count 
predators down even though oh, you can't but yeah it's just i've i have some bad memories of playoff games where jacksonville is supposed to blow them out of the water and oh look is that a field goal from 29 yards that just went through the up yep up season's over that was nice okay oh uh-huh. here comes the jaguar season and there's depressing Bye-bye. depression all over there but <laughs> but, but yeah right now like you, like I said too many question marks right now on the offensive side of the ball for Orlando you got receivers that are getting suspended you got quarterback questions and also when I was watching against New Jersey New Jersey's defensive line was in that backfield all day yes and if you're and that, if that defensive line's in the backfield all day that means you have some o-line issues now that maybe just because New Jersey was good on defense or New Jersey flight excuse me but still, Jacksonville showed last week that they can contain Tommy Grady in that offense in the Albany Empire. They, I'm not, Orlando doesn't have, they have a good squad, but Epps being out, and now you just have Myers, you don't have Vince Neal over there. Yeah, it's too many questions. And you said, is Jacksonville going to have that lull? I would mm-hmm. say that if Orlando was not considered a rival. Yeah. You get you you just four weeks ago you got beat on your own turf by them. So yeah, that they're not overlooking Orlando. They have some revenge on their mind. Um, but right now it's just too many question marks on Orlando's side of the ball. And they didn't look good last week. And that and now you got a new addition to quarterback, you got all the personnel issues. That just is that's just a sign of a team just going through the motions right now. And Jack and also that could be they Orlando could shut us up next week, Zach. They could. They that, could. That's the str- that's the strength things about freaking arena football. It, mm-hmm. it can happen. It uh, can but happen. but right now, if you look at the two rosters, you got to go with the most experienced gun. And even though Danny Southwick is a forty year old court, uh, master's degree in psychology or sociology, whatever degree he's in, when your first pass is a touchdown against Albany Empire, like where did that come from? Um, I, I I tend to lean towards the experience, but I'm not I'm not too. And I wish I had your confidence. I don't think Jackson's going to blow out Orlando. I think it's going to we're, we're going to look at the clock with six minutes left in the fourth quarter and go, oh my god, it's a it's a five point game. Orlando has the ball. What's going to happen? I mean, I feel like that's why. Fifteen to me is not really a blowout. I'm. I mean, think about this too. You know, Orlando. You're talking special teams as well. Orlando still is trying to figure that out. I mean, they signed Joshua Smith. Smith didn't do didn't really add much of a improvement in my eyes against yeah. the flight last week. So, you know, between that, the inconsistent QB play, like I said, maybe like I said, between Parsons and O'Brien, maybe one of them steps up to the plate and delivers a spark. But I mean, you got there's too many factors going against this to where I'm like, I don't yeah. see this as a close game. I just don't, you know. Yeah, and if if it happens your way, I'll be happy. It's a nice win. Um, and you get yourself back to two and two for Jacksonville. And if you do that, you got Carolina next week after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go up to Carolina and how Carolina's playing. You might go, oh man, we're coming back to Columbus, coming back home after Columbus had their two weeks off. You're talking about a three and two Jacksonville Sharks taking on a four and one Columbus team. And right then and there, you're looking at a, oh my, we're, we're looking at a game that seeding, it could be. Sharks win all of a sudden. The Sharks are potentially in position to steal the number two seed. So you're in a position right now for Jacksonville where you make a run here in the middle of the season, you can close the gap. And for Orlando, 
you're not you're not in Carolina situation. You have a better team, in my opinion, than Carolina at the moment. But you got to pull something off this weekend against Jacksonville to make a run because you get the flight next. After that, you got Columbus. That good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, but so over that overall, no, excuse me, they got Carolina back to back in the year. My apologies. Um, yeah. So you got you got us, you got Jersey, then you have Carolina, Carolina. So you have a chance. Problem is you got Jacksonville and Jersey in your way. That's why why I said Jersey, Orlando, and Jacksonville are big key the next couple of weeks because that will be the, the teams that will make the postseason unless Carolina pulls something off here. And it's possible Carolina can do that. Um, but it's, it's key. Honestly, the playoffs start today. It's like what Mason said in the interview. You got to have that one and oh mentality because of the short season. Every game is a postseason game. So, yes. For oh, this yes. one, it's it's a playoff game between Jackson and Orlando, and the winner of it dances. The loser of it is like we're not eliminated, but we're in a tougher situation than we were the week before. So, it's in Amway. The Predator fans are going to show out. It's a rivalry game. We got a bunch of Jag- uh, Sharks fans going down there this week in the bus. Place is going to be nice. Going to have a nice attendance, and Orlando's going to have good production. They do a good production on TV broadcast. Uh, I expect a very well put together game, and hopefully. The NAL is represented very well between possibly a good rivalry that needs to be established again in the area of ball. So, but I like your mindset about the the 14, 15 point game. I wish <laughs> I saw, I just think five minutes within fourth quarter is a five point game when it, the game should it, not even be five points. Maybe take me as more of a neutral look at it you yeah. know, compared to what you've seen, you know, but yeah, I mean, Orlando, look again, we've, we've said this in previous shows, they've, you know, uh, compared to what happened in 2019 under with the whole McIntyre ownership and how that debacle went down. Yeah. That was Orlando last year. Yeah. Or they've really, yeah. they've tuned things back up. You know, new ownership has taken the reins really well. So, yeah. you know, again, as I've, as we've said, give them credit. This looks like a better team and obviously hoping fans show up again, like they did the first home game and, uh, you know, make it rowdy. It's it, I'm, I'm looking forward to that broadcast is all I can say. It's so. very rowdy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And I was just going to say that 2019 Orlando organization like scarred the the Predators tradition. Oh, the Predators. The the Predators are, if you're a real football fan, you know, I'm hitting my head against the wall if you're not. Um, They are in the arena football realm of things. They are the Dallas Cowboys. They have multiple titles, but they also have a long year where they haven't really won anything, but they're always in the news. Um, they have tradition, they have history of winning. And, of course, one of the greatest rivalries in the game is the war on I-4 between them and Tampa Bay. Um, yeah, that 2019 disgraced that organization. Um, there was a stretch there, I think, in the 90s where they made the postseason every single year and made it to the Eastern Conference Finals every single year. Yeah, um, That's that's Orlando. That's what you – people in Orlando who are big-time Predator fans, they expect winning because that's what they do. And that 2019 disgraced them. And hopefully we'll underbid it under the new organization, which they have done well so far. I love the production. I love how they're doing in Orlando. Um, they're getting back to the Orlando ways. Now, the record book won't show it right now, but in two years' time, once we get once the league gets you know back in full strength and you get more fans in the stands, the Predators will be back as the Predators. And I just don't think it's going to happen this week. But I think it's going to be closer than what you predict. But that 2019 team is a disgrace to the Orlando Predators, this tradition. That's my opinion about the Orlando Predators. And hopefully this weekend we get to see the rivalry that should be between Jacksonville and the Predators. 
It's going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to watching it. And yeah, I'll be having my seat on my couch here, hope, or at least uh, wherever I'm at. I think actually I might be camping. Uh, yeah, that's right. I'm camping for this one. So hopefully better reception than two weeks ago when I had to catch up. Hopefully we'll find out, you know, <laughs> it's a, it'll be 4th of July spectacular out at the Amway center and, you know, hoping those turn out and make it one hell of a game, at least on YouTube. Uh, that that's it guys that's what we got for the show you know one game this week to preview yeah. not not, big. not too, you know loaded it's a big loaded. slate it's a massive it's huge it's amazing <laughs> four teams are on the bye week and the only game that's being played is a rivalry game which yeah. should be a marquee game in the future between the nal which should be marketed very well oh yeah but yeah we're, we'll be getting plenty they'll get back to full weeks here after this week this week was just an anomaly but yeah enjoy it guys out there enjoy it for those nal fans thank you for listening to the show by the way that's going to do it for us here i uh, hope you enjoy the interview if you really like our show be sure to follow us again twitter and instagram is at in walls pod again that is at in walls pod to give us a follow on any of our updates any of our votes any of our mvp uh at least announcements that we have and any of the game of the week picks you want to make we got it all right there so you know be sure to give us a follow give us a review on our favorite platforms and uh until next week guys you know remember this one thing don't be a jack out of the box stay tuned thanks everybody have a good one